I want to give you some context. I'm Rebecca Mall. It's a funny name. Mall is what you do to small animals if you're a lion. But I adore the man who gave me the name, so I will just deal with it. After 34 years, it's a good thing. I am a preacher. I'm a Presbyterian pastor. I pastor a kind of large Presbyterian church down in Brandon, Florida. It's part of the sprawl of the Tampa Bay area where I've been for 17 years. Part of that opportunity in that church is to be able to go to other churches and do consulting work, and I am I'll behave <laughs> is consulting with another congregation in this presbytery and Scott said hey you want to come preach for us and I said sure do you think they'll be able to understand me and so it is such an honor and a privilege to be with you today at Zionsville Presbyterian Church I told our small group Bible study that we've had going for a number of years that I'd be here and they have been praying for you in preparation for this Sunday and uh, they send your greetings from First Pres in Brandon so the, the music this morning, the offering in song, the offering of your tithes and your finances and the offering of your presence here in worship of the Lord, I just am thrilled to be here. Um, you are a great church here at Zionsville. I don't know if you were aware of that. You should. A great church that knows what it is to persevere in turbulent times. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I read your, your webpage. page. <laughs> uh, but I walked into your sanctuary today, and it's beautiful, and, and I can feel the presence of the Lord in this place today. And I hope to share something about turbulence with you and how God provides amazing blessing despite our worst and our best efforts. So let us hear God's word today as it comes from a a turbulent church, the turbulent church in Corinth, and Paul was writing them this letter. And he says there in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of people, but on God's amazing power. And this is the reading of his word, and may he bless our hearing and our understanding and especially our application of it. A number of years ago, oh, I guess five or six, it wasn't that long, I was leading a conference for a church in upstate New York. It, it was a tough place. Their very historic sanctuary had been struck by lightning a couple years earlier, and it had burned to the ground, along with their, their education wing and everything in it. It was devastating. And, and that was bad enough, but then they learned that since their church was listed as an historic site, they were required 
to build it back exactly as it had been, plus bring it up to building code standards. It was going to cost a very pretty penny to do so. And although they were insured for replacement value, guess what? Insurance companies require that you produce the receipts of everything that needs to be replaced. And after 150 years and an old file cabinet that was consumed by fire, there was no record of anything. And the insurance only covered about a third of what it was going to cost for them to get back up on their feet. It was very sad. The rebuilding effort was going to tax them and their ministry to the extreme. They couldn't meet at the facility at all during this period of time, and it was going to be about a three-year stretch there. A local yet small Catholic university said they could use their chapel, and I thought that was lovely, but, and, the, and they were able to worship there. But members were very discouraged, and many of the young families decided that the, since the church was no longer going to have a ministry for children or Sunday school, that they would have to convert to Methodism. <sighs> their loss was deeply felt, and the church was depressed. And there was a growing disappointment and, and open snippiness that began to rise to the surface, and they were just biting at each other. Well, they were about halfway through this nightmare when the elders decided that what was needed was a good old revival-type event. They could even invite a revivalist from the South who would fire them up. That was me. Now, I do want you to know that whether it's in the North or in the South, Presbyterians are not known for their lively revivals. <laughs> it's not very decent or in order. Many Presbyterian churches would get a better response from an event organized to debate pros and cons of even thinking about making a change in the hymn book. <laughs> it's what we do best. Very sad. They didn't want to seem too extreme, so in order to disguise their plot, they decided to call it a weekend of faith restoration. That sounds Presbyterian, doesn't it? Kind of in a sad way, and I'm all for that. Restoration is in the Bible. It's all over the place. Great stories of hope and expectation for great things. and We have such inspirational passages that just kind of Pop into my brain about restoration. Listen to this. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Get this. All things. It says all. Not part. Not just a few. But all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Here's another one. I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. That's just a regular human being saying that. Not just some things, not just a, a little things on the side every now and then, but everything we can do. One more, all things are possible to those who believe. And the belief comes first. We are a resurrected people. We are a redeemed people. We are a restored people in Christ, being reconciled to the body. 
We are people of the way, is how the scripture puts it in Acts. The way of Jesus. The way of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, at the end of that weekend, which I thought was just great, one of the members came up to me and said, oh, and she had dead foxes wrapped around her neck. Yeah. I've always remembered that. And she came up to me and she said, Mrs. Mall, I so appreciate your enthusiasm. And maybe it's just a southern thing, but we're just not that comfortable here with Christ language. Thank you for understanding that. And I replied, perhaps that is at the heart of the struggle that the church finds itself in. And you know, that may be at the heart of the struggle that so many churches are having across denominational lines, not just the PCUSA. See if this sounds familiar. I think you'll recognize this. We have learned to debate ad nauseum the varied and many splintered views and interpretations of our reformed theology. Loving our minds and our ability to debate at the expense of loving God with our hearts. Striving to be right instead of being faithful. Limiting ourselves and others through this amazing game we play of labeling one another. Aren't we glad that God doesn't label us? It's very sad. And it sounds a lot like the church in Corinth to whom Paul was writing this letter. It was a young church, maybe 15, 20 years at the most. It was mostly Gentile Christians. They were new to this new faith in Jesus. They had their own unique struggles. And if you've ever done a study of Corinthians, man, were they an interesting church. They were very interesting. He patiently reminded them of the focus that would keep them on track. And here's what he says. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing else, just Jesus. If I ask a rhetorical question to the children doing young time for disciples in our church, I'll say, and the answer is, and they will say, Jesus? It could be a squirrel and it would still be Jesus. And if it's not Jesus, it would be the Bible. And if it's not the Bible, it would be love. Every day we get out of bed as his disciples and we resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And every day as his disciples, we recommit ourselves again and again 
to serve as the disciples that Jesus calls us to be above all else. He calls us to be faithful. And faithfulness in Jesus builds up. It does not tear down. Faithfulness to Jesus builds unity in Christ, not uniformity. Faithfulness is always wrapped in repentance because we are a bunch of sorry sinners, every last one of us. Hope, joy, peace, the love of Jesus. And it's that love in Jesus that holds us together no matter what, that restores us to know again the joy of our salvation. <laughs> I did a sermon once on Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I said, that's great. The Bible tells us that Jesus loves us. And then the question is, but do we love Jesus back? And this guy came into my office. Of course, he came to my office every Monday to tell me what I was doing wrong. Bless his heart. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean, do I love Jesus? Just like that. And I said, well, Bob. There's a Bob in every church. <laughs> well, Bob, the Bible says that we will have joy in our salvation. And I just don't see the evidence. And this brings me to the bumblebee. If you looked at the title, yeah, preachers sweat out those titles. What's a little catchy thing? No, I, I, I'm going to talk about bumblebee theology with this story. Here's the old story of the bumblebee. According to the greatest minds of science, the bumblebee cannot fly. Its wings aren't big enough, and it has a big old fat little body. Aerodynamics teaches that it is impossible for the bumblebee to fly. The biggest computers in the world all come to the same conclusion. No ability to fly. But what does the bumblebee do? It ignores the great minds, the skeptics, the computers, and it goes ahead and it flies anyway, doing what it was created to do. And I hear that story and I'll go, blah, blah. Because it turns out that it really isn't a mystery at all. And to me, the truth is far more powerful to our Christian faith than that other kind of syrupy, moralistic thing. Dr. Cragen, he's a PhD in physics, he writes this. Among those scientists who actually care, you mean those who study the aerodynamics of tiny little winged insects, here is what was discovered. The error in the first assumption is, that, is the belief that the biggest problem in explaining the flight of the bumblebee is, is the body weight of that creature. Certainly, there's a lot of weight, but the biggest problem is its static aerodynamic design. So what does that mean? For instance, if you are a bird carcass, nobody here is dead, I know, but a bird carcass you can take that 
static object. You can spread the wings and secure them, and you can take that bird and throw it, and guess what it's going to do? It's going to glide, and it will land softly wherever it may. Then you take a bumblebee carcass, and you toss it, and what does it do? It just kind of falls, tumble over, end over, um, end, and, and it plummets and just splats. Okay. The difference is that whereas a bird has a nice static aerodynamic design which allows air to flow easily around it, enabling it to glide, the bumblebee, with his tiny little wings, creates turbulence that flips it all over the place. This is the mystery. How is it then that bumblebees can fly without crashing? This is how. The answer lies in the fact that static or still objects are governed by different stability laws, stay with me, than dynamic moving objects. For example, a bicycle. I wish I had a bicycle up here. It'd be quite impressive. As a static object, it is not stable. Like a tricycle would be. Here's my imaginary tricycle. Three points of balance. Stands sturdy. However, leave the bicycle standing without support, and what will happen? It'll just fall right over. Probably catch your ankle and make it bleed. Well, that's another story. But, However, a moving dynamic bicycle is perfectly stable and it goes really fast and it can outmaneuver a tricycle any day and it's easy to explain why with basic physics the bumblebee is the same as a static object it is not aerodynamically stable it can't even glide but when it is flapping its little wings Causing all that turbulence, we're into a whole new perspective of how air moves around it. And I think that has got to be the coolest thing when you consider the bumblebee of the church. That was God saying, that's right. And this is the kind of power that Paul is talking about in our passage today. If we, as a church, as a denomination, want to fly, we have to move. Just imagine taking all that turbulence, you know, the things like um, angst and, and frustration and judgmental opinions, dare we call it fear of the unknown, and we redirect it long enough so as to see if God is taking us in a new direction, to see if God is transforming us in new ways with new stories of God's amazing grace and still working in and through and around our lives to see if God is still calling us to be so much more than just reformed, but is reforming us to be called to fly. It gives me chili bumps. To ride our bicycle forward in the spirit of repentance, with the power of the Spirit, Blowing us whichever way it wants us to go. 
If we could do that, together with all the marvelous and varied gifts that we bring, it'd be the most amazing demonstration of God's Spirit. So what's it going to be? Tricycle? Bicycle? Tricycle? to ride my bicycle I want to ride my bike I want to ride my bicycle I want to ride it where I might and let's bring that thought to the table let us pray Loving Lord, there is turbulence all over the place. Help us to flap our wings and soar. In Christ's name, amen.